Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Deal with some aspect of this subject because it's very real, it's very practical, it's useful. This is where we live. Now, last September 19th, we closed out our fourth capital stewardship campaign. And I promised the church that month, I said, we will not raise dollars. We will not talk about capital stewardship campaigns for a year. And uh, in my mind, we've been true to that promise. If, if, if that's true in anybody else's mind, would you say amen? <laughs> say, well, it's July. Well, yeah, it's July, but we're getting close to that annual time. And I really feel like the Lord has been speaking to me for several months about what he wants us to do this fall. And we'll be saying more to you about that for the next few weeks. But I want to talk to you today for a few minutes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Let me read the text, and then I want to give you my subject. Paul said, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Would you read that out loud with me again? Would you read it? Here we go. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which... Verse 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Everybody say cheerful. Everybody smile. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Now, he'll take it from stingy givers, but he loves a cheerful giver. And now, look at the power of this. Verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God is able to make all grace abound. Not trickle down abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work now my subject today see every year I usually do a, a stewardship series in January and we didn't do it this year because I made you a promise but since we're coming up on the annual of it I want to talk to you today, and this is the year of the Lord's favor, and this is something I've been preparing for a long time, and I hope that it's ready. In fact, there may be two or three other messages along with this that I'm going to give, but I want to talk to you today about the favor of God in our finances, the favor of God in our finances. I told you this is something we deal with every day. We're dealing with our finances every day. You say, well, it doesn't sound like we're going to have much of a move of God. It doesn't sound like it's going to be very exciting. Well, I'm not worried about that, and I'm not worried about you, because I have a perfect peace in what I'm supposed to do today. 
Amen. So let's all say amen. amen. You may be seated. My subtitle today is Taking the Fear Out of Giving. Taking the Fear Out of Giving. Now, I'm going to be very pastoral today. That means I'm going to have two feet flat on the floor. I'm going to look into your eyes with all the love and the Word of God that I possibly can. And I want to talk to you and teach you principles from the Word of God because I want you to be blessed. And I, I want to see God's favor on your finances. Um, and I, I'm going to also say that when I'm done with this today, there's going to be a move of God. Amen. It may be the first time in my ministry when I've talked about money that somebody's going to get the Holy Ghost. Now, I've seen Brother Urshan. I saw Brother Urshan, our former general superintendent, when he was taking the offering in a service I was at in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. When they were receiving the offering, a guy came to get the Holy Ghost. He was hungry. He ran to the altar, ran right by the ushers. He didn't even give anything in the offering. He ran right by him. And two or three got around him. He lifted his hands, and the presence of God came on him. He started speaking with tongues right during the offering. We joke about it, but it's happened. Amen. Because what we give of our finances is a part of our worship, isn't it? It's part of our worship. And you're going like, to like what I have to say today from the Word of the Lord. The only people that won't like it is people that don't give. You won't like this because it's going um, to stir you up. It's going to motivate you. It's going to prod you. Something you'll have to deal with. But I'm excited about what I want to share with you. Some of us that were raised in and around the church remember being taught by our parents to give. I remember my father, you know, showing me a dollar bill. He said, now, son, I'm going to give this to you, and this is yours, but you need to give 10% of it to Jesus. And he got out 10 dimes, and he showed me how much 10% of that was. My Sunday school teachers also taught me the principle of giving. They, we went through a series in our, my, junior high, my junior Sunday school class. I was nine years old. And they taught us to read the Bible every day, to share our faith with others every day, to fast once a week, and to bring an offering to Sunday school as unto the Lord. And early on, it wasn't very difficult to tithe because my allowance, literally, the allowance that I got, I don't know what my sister's got, and she's not here today to defend herself, but my allowance, this is the truth, when we would bring our soda bottles back to the grocery store, you'd have to give a deposit, and you'd get the deposit back. And it was about 35 cents a week. That was my allowance. Now, don't you feel sorry for me? But see, that was back in the day when Minimum wage was about a dollar. In fact, I read this the other day. If you gave a dollar in the offering in 1967, if you were giving a dollar back in 1967, that's like giving $32 in 2005. Just thought I'd throw that in. But back in those days when my income was 35 cents a week, it wasn't very difficult for me to count out the three or four cents or whatever it was give it to the Lord. In those days, my parents provided me my clothes. 
my warm bed, my good food. Giving was no problem. Over the years, my income increased, and I noticed a slight hesitancy in my giving. Now, now, as an adult, my giving wasn't just a few cents or a few dollars, but over a month's time, it amounted to hundreds of dollars if I was to honor the Lord with the principle of giving in the Scripture. Now, I want to just pause right here and say, how many of you would like to be financially blessed? Would you just be honest and raise your hand? Okay, if you don't want to be blessed, this isn't for you. But if you want to be financially blessed, and I want to make this very clear. Members of our church know we don't, we don't preach a prosperity gospel. We don't say, you know, you need to give this and you need to do that. And if you don't, the judgments that God are going to be upon you. And we don't play games with people and their money. We simply teach the word of the Lord. And it's your choice. It's your decision. If you want to enter into financial partnership with God. And I say that for the benefit of our guests. Because as I said, we say very little about money and finances from across this pulpit. And everybody know that's the truth. Say amen. amen. Now, uh, so over the years... Uh, you know, giving hundreds of dollars over a month's time to missions, my tithing, to the building project, to other needs. You know, thoughts like this would come into my mind. What if I need this money for something else? Have you ever thought that? Am I saving enough money? Am I putting enough money back? What if I have an unexpected expense? Has that ever crossed your mind? Is anybody else giving this much? <laughs> Has that ever crossed your mind? You know what? If I was a young person working, if I was a college and career person, had a job, I'd really want to tune into this because I want to teach you the principle of how to be financially blessed and have income insurance the rest of your life. Now, my struggle didn't stop me from giving or from tithing. But I'm just being honest with you and telling you the thoughts that were going through my mind. And when I'd think about these things, am I going to have enough for other things? What if I have unexpected expenses? What about emergencies? Is anybody else what I'm doing what I'm doing? When I would evaluate my hesitancy, I realized that I was not being greedy, but it was fear. It was fear. I was slowly turning into a fearful giver. I was losing my confidence in my long-held belief that God was who he said he was and he would do what he promised he would do. In my growing pressure to make ends meet each month, I was slowly becoming irrational in my thinking about God, his faithfulness, and my role as a steward of the resources he had placed in my trust. Now, for many Christians, many believers today, Cheerful giving has become fearful giving. Most Christians are not opposed to supporting God's kingdom with their resources. They're not greedy. But they are concerned that if they don't look after their own needs first, they might not get looked at after all. Now, I want to say very boldly here today, and this is a powerful statement. I want you to hear it. Any fear associated with giving to God's kingdom is totally and completely irrational any fear that you as a believer in God have about giving to his kingdom is totally irrational it's irrational 
fear of partnering with God. And when I talk about stewardship today, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about your whole life. The stewardship of your calendar. Don't tune me out today. The stewardship of your calendar. The stewardship of your time. The stewardship of your life. See, God owns it all. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns it all. He is the owner. And we are the managers. So fear of partnering with God in your finances is as irrational as a farmer who fears losing his seed so he refuses to plant his field. But he still hopes for a harvest. That doesn't make any sense, does it? The farmer says, oh, I don't want to lose this seed. I got good seed. But I still hope I have a good harvest. No, that doesn't work. The harvest doesn't come up until the seed is planted in the ground. I'm going to give you some statistics about giving in churches in America. In the United States, just one-third to one-half of all church members give any of their finances through the local church. And, any, and of those who give something, only 3 to 5% actually practice legitimate tithing. Thankfully, that's not the case at the Life Church because of good teaching through the years and pastors that preceded me and then the years that we've been here teaching on the biblical principles of giving. A good strong percentage of our members practice scriptural tithing. And it's my observation that those are the ones that are blessed and provisions are there. The wealth accumulated by church-going people has reached record levels. American Christians give proportionately less today, however, than they did during the Great Depression. We're more blessed today as a Christian nation or those who are in our nation and go to church, but we're giving less. Fear has always been one of the principal enemies of a growing faith. You may know precisely how God wants you to handle your finances, but fear has the potential to freeze you in your tracks or send you down another path. Now, it's very important to realize something about fear and faith. Fear and faith are never totally separated. There's all, fear and faith, in fact, go hand in hand. Let me explain it this way. When you pursue a growing faith, you increase your potential to exposing your fears. Actually, fear and faith live parallel lives. Without the element of the unknown, there would be no faith. And it's the unknown that creates an element of fear. It's in that moment of faith that we learn to rely less on what we see and more on what we don't see. You see, faith bridges the gap from the unknown to the known. But it's the fearful moment of the unknown that we are most vulnerable to fear causing our decisions to be irrational. Most Christians know how they would like to give, but fear kicks in before they can bridge the gap to their faith. This is why the Bible addresses the issue of fear about your finances head on, and it's found in Matthew 6:33. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I want somebody to claim that promise right now. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you 
God has called us to be generous stewards and not to be fearful owners. I'm going to say that again. God has called us to be generous stewards. A steward is someone that manages the, the wealth of another or the resources of another. He's called us to be generous stewards and not fearful owners. If we put the kingdom of God first, we do not have to fear being wiped out. When you begin to view your finances from God's perspective, you will soon realize that the thing to fear is not giving away too much, but rather giving away or sowing too little. If you want to fear something, don't fear giving too much. You know why? Because you can never outgive God. But fear not doing enough. My goal in this talk to you today is to see you grow to a place in your faith in God that you will experience the thrill and the joy of fearless giving. Now, I'm not talking about irresponsible giving. I'm not talking about going out to the, well, you know, pastor said, you know, we give our tithe and offering, God will bless us. Let's head to the mall or to the car dealership. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm taught, when I say fearless giving, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. When we respond in fear to an invitation from God, we forfeit the reward that comes with being a faithful steward. Let me give you an example quickly. In Matthew, Jesus talked to us about the talent, the, the parable of the talents. Man had five, another man was given two, another man was given one. The man that had five and two, they invested and doubled their talent. The man that had one talent, he hid it in the ground. And he did it because he feared his master. He operated according to fear. And when the master came back, he said, why didn't you send this to the, to the usury? And it would have increased. And he said, well, I was afraid of you, and I knew that you reap where you have not sowed. And, and fear motivated him to just hang on to what he had. And so uh, if that is the attitude of an individual, they will never experience the joy and the thrill of giving. When we cower in fear, our yield will be more like empty fields. But when we sow in faith, the results will always yield eternal crops. Fear is probably the most significant thing that keeps believers from stepping out of their comfort zone. Have you ever what if yourself out of doing something for God? Have you? Have you ever what if yourself out of giving? What if the economy falls apart? Everybody listening to me say amen. amen. What if I lose my job? What if another war breaks out? What if I have unexpected expenses? What if I can't pay my bills? Over a period of time, you can explain away your opportunity to give. Your heart can become numb to the needs around you, needs that God intends for you or I to meet. And that all starts with fear. Now, there's two kinds of givers. The people who give to God what's left over. And the people who give off the top and then give themselves what's left over to live on. Now, the first group who give to God what's left over, they're not greedy. They're just operating by different priorities. They see themselves as responsible for meeting their own needs. And whatever's left over, if anything, goes to God to help his work. 
The second group sees everything as belonging to God, including the responsibility of meeting their daily needs. Generosity is their priority. They don't give carelessly, but they give thoughtfully, intentionally, and effortlessly. You see, the problem with giving leftovers is that your generosity can never exceed your ability to meet your own needs. If you prosper, there may be something left over. But the minute you face financial uncertainty, generosity is going to take a back seat. I want to redirect your attention to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let everyone give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. God wants his people to give out of a cheerful heart. But the more your heart is occupied with the burden of meeting your own needs, the less it can entertain God's prompting to be cheerful and to be generous. So you have to make a decision. Is God going to be responsible to meet my needs? Or am I going to be responsible to meet my needs? There's a difference. And the generous giver who gives the first fruit of their increase, they're not giving God the leftover, but they're giving God the first fruit. That is the person who understands that God is the owner and we are the managers. For the generous givers, giving off the top is only logical. They understand that God owns and controls it all. They feel free to invest in his interests first and in their interests second. For them, it's the rational thing to do. But for the leftover givers, it's always a struggle to go, to let go in this area. You know, people that give of their leftovers, they've heard sermons, they've heard Bible studies, they've read the verses, they've listened to the testimonies, but somehow they still can't do it. They hold back. They have families to feed, tuitions to pay, retirements to fund, markets to second guess, so they hold back on God, afraid that they cannot manage all their financial responsibilities and give to God's work too. A little fear can be healthy, but it can also be dangerous. Fear has the power to make you act against what you know to be true. Actually, fear is what can make you irrational. Fear can make you irrational. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody smile. I know that I'm low-key, but I'm low-key today for two reasons. Number one, because of the subject matter. I'm not going to scream and holler and get all excited about it. I'm just giving you the flat-footed Word of God. The other reason is I don't feel good and I'm exhausted. But God has given me strength today. Amen. I'm sorry for the cough drop in my throat, and I'm sorry that my voice sounds terrible, but uh, hopefully you'll, you'll get through it. Amen. Isn't it rational to trust God with your finances since it belongs to Him anyway? Can I have a better amen? Isn't that rational? He owns it. He owns it. If you made $400 last week, how much of it belongs to God? Oh, I'm proud of you. <laughs> you didn't fall for it this time. Not just 40 bucks. It all belongs to God. It's all His. Amen. Isn't it rational to trust God with something that is beyond your control anyway? Doesn't it become irrational 
to trust God for your eternal destiny, but decline his invitation to direct your finances? You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, pastor, I, I trust you as my pastor and the shepherd and the bishop of my soul, and I know you're going to answer to God for me someday, and I want you to answer with joy, but I'm, I'm not going to trust you with, with, with 10% of my income. They trust the le spiritual leadership with their soul, so they say, but not with a few bucks. That's kind of telling you. That's irrational, friend. You want to talk about irrationality, that's irrational. Fear has a way of twisting the truth. As you move forward in your relationship with God, occasionally God is going to test your grip on your wallet. It's a faith thing. It doesn't happen every week. It doesn't happen every month. But every so often, God's going to tempt you to step out of your comfort zone and step into a dimension of generosity. I know it because he's done it to me. If you really want to keep God in control of your finances, you need to follow him. And there's a thin line that you've got to be willing to cross. And that line is drawn at a different place for everybody. But, if, but you must be willing to go where you cannot rely on your financial stockpiling, but only on the Lord as your provider. Fear is a part of the landscape for anyone who wants to grow in faith. And there's always going to be a trace of nervous energy when you stand near the edge of where you are in control and stepping out in God is in control. There's always that, okay, I'm all right here, but if I take that step, there's that element of fear because it's the area of the unknown. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those generous moments when God just, I'll tell you what happened to me. I've actually had it happen to me twice. I was at a general conference, which is a, a conference, an annual conference that some of us go to, it's where believers gather from all over of the world, really. This year it's in Richmond, Virginia. I was at a general conference. It was at the Foreign Missions Service. And it tore my heart up, all the needs in the world. There was three or four days left of conference. I had some money in my wallet. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, give everything you got in your wallet. I had traveler's checks. I had some cash. I said, but God, there's three days left in this conference. Said, don't worry about it. So I reached in my wallet, pulled out everything I had, didn't count it to this day. I don't know how much it was, but it was two or three hundred dollars, I'll tell you that. And he, the Lord said, and you turn around, and whoever is there, you give it to that person. I turned around, it was a missionary from Tongo, I believe. And I just gave him one of those holy handshakes. You know what that is, don't you? <laughs> Amen. That's when somebody gives you a handshake and there's something in there beside a sweaty palm. Amen. I gave him a handshake. I wept on his neck, and I walked away. And a couple weeks later, I got a little note from him. said, you don't know. You have no idea. We were out of money. We didn't know how we were going to make it the rest of the week. And God blessed you. And do you know I went to eat lunch with someone that day, and they gave me a $100 bill? <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Amen. So I made it. It was McDonald's the rest of the week, but I made it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. And then when we were in the, when we were in the, the gym, 
we were making pledges and we were giving things that we owned. I gave something that I still owed money on. And uh, in fact, it was several thousand dollars. And I sold it and I still owed payments on it and gave the, all the proceeds. I, I sold it for what I owed on it. I just gave it to the building fund. In less than a month, God replaced that. In less than 30 days, God replaced that. Those are those generous moments. And I can't control those times, and you can't control them, but when they come, it's a test. God's testing your grip. You know, and if you're one of these guys, <laughs> give me that. You'll never know the joy of just trusting God and listening to his voice. Amen. Everybody all right out there? So, after you have a generous moment and you come back to your carnal senses, <laughs> what if I never get that car? What if I need that money for something else? What if I change my mind later? What if God wasn't even in that and I was just being emotional? See, there may be something so right about the need. And there may be something so right about what you feel God is telling you to do about it. But at the same time, there's something very real about human fear. I've been there. And I can tell you that the fear never completely goes away. But that's when you have to resolve to take all your fears and say, God, I don't want to be impulsive, but I don't want to let fear get in the way of following your will when you prompt my heart. I'm not 100% comfortable giving this, but I'm too uncomfortable to not do it. And that's the difference. You see, friends, when you finally cross that line, it'll make all the difference in your life. The moment of trusting God in the face of financial fear is a huge step in progressive stewardship. It will be a defining moment in your faith in God. And I want you to listen to this. The solution to the tension between fear and faith lies in changing your idea of ownership. Change your concept of ownership. Who really owns your possessions? Who is calling the shots for you financially? If you believe that everything truly belongs to God, then you have nothing to fear at all. And if God is the source of all wealth, and if he controls all income and outgo of your resources, then there is no reason not to give. Can you say amen? I am doing a good job. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Do you, like thousands of believers around the world, truly want to make a difference in the world with your money? Do you? Do you? You want to make a difference with your money? Sure. You don't want to just live for yourself, do you? You want to just live for yourself? No, that doesn't fulfill. Billy Graham said the smallest package he ever saw was a man all wrapped up in himself. You don't want to just live for yourself. I think God has created us as there's something in us that makes us want to make a difference. You say, well, I want to make a difference with my prayer. I want to make a difference with my Bible reading. I want to make a difference with my witnessing. 
But the only difference I want to make with my finances is what's in my refrigerator. Hallelujah. You want to make a difference with your finances? Let me talk to you about that. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how can I get in on what God is up to financially in the world? And how much is it going to really cost me to do so? Do you ever have a friend that calls you up and says, man, you, you need to start selling these diet pills. Man, I'm selling these diet pills, these energy pills. I'm making money. You need to sell this Melaleuca stuff, this Amway stuff. This stuff is some stuff. It's some stuff made out of stuff that's for stuff. And it's amazing stuff. And you need to get it. And, huh? And we want to ask, what's it going to cost me? <laughs> you ever want to get involved in what God's up to financially? What's God up to financially? If that's your desire, you must understand that getting involved in your finances means surrendering control of your finances completely to him and answering the call to generosity. And Jesus gave us a model for this in Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to show it to you. Verse 42. There was a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which made a farthing. Jesus was sitting at the place where they were giving their offering. The next verse says, He called unto his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Now there was a lot of bucks that was going into the offering that day. The Pharisees were dumping out their bags full of money and it was making a big noise and everybody was oohing and on. And here came this woman embarrassed and, and almost ashamed and she looked around and hoped nobody was watching and she, she dropped it in the, in the treasury and Jesus noticed it. See, she had nothing else to rely on but the promise of God to meet her needs. They gave out of their strength. They had plenty where that came from. She gave out of her weakness. She didn't have anything else left. God's ultimate test in all of our lives is the trust test. In every life, he plants the question some way, do you trust me? Do you trust me? To trust him financially means that we experience peace and contentment while we enjoy the thrill of participating in his financial mission for the world. You see, the danger of not crossing that line means that you leave God out of your finances. Saying no to God in this area of your life is just like telling him that you don't want him involved when it comes to matters of your possessions and ultimately the matter of your heart. When Paul wrote the second time to the Corinthians, he commended them for their generosity to believers in Macedonia that were in need. And this is what we're, our text today. Paul sees the opportunity to address the tension between generosity and fear and to bolster their confidence by reminding them of the terms of their new position as managers in God's kingdom. And he writes to them, and I'm going to read it to you again. He gives us insight into the relationship between our needs, the needs around us, and the God whose mission it is to meet those needs. And I want you to turn again to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. And I'm going to read this this time from the nearly inspired version. The NIV. I say that facetiously. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Stop. That's all you need to hear. That's not all I'm going to say. That's all you need to hear. The law of the harvest applies in giving. Verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So then all things at all times, having all that you having all that you need. Everybody say you need. You will abound in every good work as it is written. And he reaches back to Psalm 112 here. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Go on to verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be, be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. There's so much here that is so powerful. And let me try to break it down to you as I bring this talk to a close. This passage shows us three key insights that can help us understand what God desires for us in this area of financial giving and why fears about giving are irrational. And I know that I'm probably mostly talking to females here today because God, because men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Or maybe it's the other way around. Men are compulsive and they don't worry about finances too much. And women by nature are more subjective and they're more possessive and they have sometimes difficulty in this area. So let me help all of you today, especially our sweet ladies. Amen. I want to explain to you why fear in giving is irrational. Now God wants to remove that fear through his word. Number one, the law of the harvest applies to your finances. If a farmer goes out, let me ask you a question. You've got to be a rocket science, scientist to understand this. If a farmer goes out and he takes one handful of seed and he just slings it at will out in the ground, and another farmer 40 acres down loads up, buys as much seed as he can, and he plows up the ground, and he, and he digs it, and he covers it up, and he maintains it, and he waters it, and he irrigates it, Who's going to get the better crop? Hello. We all understand that. The Bible says, if we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. And Jesus taught us. He said, whatever measure you give out, it's going to be measured back to you again. He is saying, if you give out love, you're going to get love back. But if you give out hate, you're going to get hate back. If you give out forgiveness, you're going to get forgiveness back. If you give out mercy, you're going to get mercy back. And he said, it's going to come back to you, not only what you gave out, but in proportionate to what you gave, it's going to come back to you. If you give out a little mercy, you might get a little, little mercy back. If you give out a little forgiveness, you get a little forgiveness back. See, stewardship is bigger than dollars. It applies to everything in your life. And Jesus said, the way that he wants to give it back is pressed down, shaken together, and running over, which is what Kellogg's Corn Flakes does not do. When you get it, it's pressed down, but it's not running over. Every time I open a box of cereal, I want to know where the other half of the cereal is. <laughs> Settling may occur. Settling of contents may occur. They put that on there so they don't get sued for false advertising. Yeah. But God said, whatever you give, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. 
Whatever you send out, finances, whatever, it's going to come back to you, and it's going to come back pressed down. God's going to put his big foot in there and press it down some more and then pour in there some more and then press it down again and shake it all together until it's running over. And he'll send, he'll send it back into your bosom, the Bible says, or, or literally your lap. He's going to put it back in your lap. So the law of harvest applies to your finances. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. And Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians that those who give generously will receive something back in return for participating. And furthermore, there is a direct correlation between how much you give and what you give back. The more you sow, the more you reap. And I think I can add an idea to that. I think Paul is suggesting, and I want you to hear this, the amount that has been entrusted to you in your lifetime depends on how good of a steward you've been with what you already have. That is a great statement. Amen. What God decides to pour through you in your lifetime will depend on how faithful of a steward you've been throughout your life. If I was a if I was sitting over in this group here today and I was college and career age, young people, how many of you young people want to be blessed financially? Raise your hand. I'm teaching you how to be blessed. Now, I want to tell you the difference between God's wealth and the world's wealth. God wants his people to be wealthy, but not in the wealth of the world. Here's the difference. In the world's wealth, whatever you need, you can go get it. Or excuse me, in the world's wealth, whatever you want, you can go get it. But God's wealth is whatever you need, he will supply it. The world's wealth is whatever you want, go get it. But God's wealth is whatever you need, he will supply it. I'm looking at young people that are brilliant, got great minds, there's some right over here and some right over here. I'm not excluding you guys. How many of you kids got, how many young people got jobs? Raise your hand. You got jobs? Look at that. How about these guys over here? Raise your hand if you got jobs. Amen. Put your hands down. Now you, now I'm going to ask you another question. I don't want you to raise your hand. Yeah, I, I do want you to raise your hand on this question. How many of you, if you were going into a financial partnership with somebody, would want God to be your partner? Raise your hand. Oh, not all of you that raised your hand said you got jobs. Want God to be your partner? Come on, that's an honest question. How many of you want God to be your financial partner? Raise your hand. Come on. All over this auditorium, you want God to be your financial partner. I'm teaching you how to get God. I'm talking about God. I'm not talking about Bill Gates. God owns all his stuff. I'm talking about God. Bill Gates is a drop in the bucket. I'm talking about God. When you enter into financial partnership with God, you do it through giving as unto the Lord. That's how he becomes your financial partner. Amen. This law of sowing and reaping, this principle has been taken to extreme by some. A lot of people have been disappointed because they expected God to make them rich. That's not, not what I'm talking about. Paul wasn't talking to people who were trying to get rich. Nor was he trying to get their money. He had already had the money. 
when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He was simply explaining how God wanted to use them to be conduits for distributing his blessings, not for personal gain, but for kingdom progress. And this is good news for reluctant givers. Because when you give something that's valuable, it feels like a loss. You had it, now you don't have it. You have giver's regret. But Paul puts it in an entirely different concept. He's saying that when you give to God's work, you're not giving it away. You're making an investment. You didn't lose it. You're making an investment. The farmer who sows seed doesn't lose seed. He gains crops. What irrational farmer would say, I'm afraid to sow my seed because then I won't have any more seed. And what will happen if I need this seed? Doesn't make any sense. Any farmer knows that if he wants crops, he's got to sow seed. It doesn't benefit him to stuff his pockets full. Neither does it do any good for him to pray something like this. Oh God, please give me a crop. I'm not sure I'm ready to sow any seed, but I'm trusting you to get involved. But I'm going to hold on to my seed just in case. Forget it. That's why I can't even pray for you that God will bless you until you're a giver. Because God won't answer that prayer. It's very simple. Read Malachi chapter 3. There's only one window in heaven that can be opened, one window of blessing. And the Lord said, he said, where have we robbed God? And the Lord said, you robbed me in tithe and offering. You haven't given unto me. But he said, try me and test me. It's the only place in all the Bible where God invites us to test him. And that's in our finances. He said, test me and see if I will not open the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Press down, shaken together and running over. Can you say amen? Amen. So the law of the harvest is sowing and reaping, and it does apply to our finances. So the second point is financial giving aligns your life with God's agenda. I mentioned that Paul made a reference to Psalm 112.9. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Somebody came up to me today and said, Brother Gleason, I want to get involved in helping the poor. I want to get involved in feeding them and clothing them. And, and that's what they were meaning when they said, I want to help the poor. And we've got a project that we're going to do this summer. Before the summer gets away from us, we've got a date, and we'll be announcing this to you soon. But this is close to the heart of God. But why did Paul put this in here? Why did he draw from Psalm 112.9? What's this got to do with anything? It's very simple. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of God's commitment to disperse his gifts and care for the poor. In other words, God's up to something in the world, and he wants to use believers who've been blessed to help people who are less fortunate. Can you say amen? The Bible says when we give to the poor, we lend to God. Amen. God is concerned about the needy, and he's concerned about his great commission. That's what he's all about in this world. And his objectives are going to cost money to get them done. And God will get the money from somewhere, but he'd rather partner with his people to accomplish the work so that he can bless us in return for our giving. So what is there to fear? Why in the world, listen, why in the world would God drain you of your resources and then not replenish them again so that you can give them again so that he can get his job done in the world and so that he can bless you for it? Amen. So financial giving aligns your life with God's agenda. And number three, good service results in repeat business. God takes care of his regular customers. Can I have a better amen? Let me tell you how this works. I say something awesome. If you like it, you say amen. Amen. God takes care of his regular customers. <laughs> Second Corinthians 9.11 says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 
That's in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's he saying? When God wants to distribute his wealth again in the future, where is he going to distribute it? When God has resources to pour out, who is he going to pour them out on? Do you know why some people are not blessed? More blessed than they are? I said I wasn't going to get excited. <laughs> I almost felt it coming on me right there. The reason that some people are not more blessed than they are is because God can't trust them. You can't trust them. They're not faithful. You know, I had somebody say to me one time, you know, Pastor, I got this job. It's going to pay me probably about $200,000 a year. I'd love to be able to give $20,000 a year to the church. You know what I told him? I said, you won't do it. Say, Pastor, is that what you told him? Yeah, that's what I told him. You know, you know, why, you know why he won't do it? Why he wouldn't do it? And I told him why. Because he wasn't being faithful with what he had. He wasn't giving where he was. Why would God want to bless somebody who's not faithful where they are with a $200,000 a year job? Hello? This ain't rocket science. Now, I can't say that when my niece's husband's in the church because he's a rocket scientist. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the truth. <laughs> he is. So remind me next time he's here. I don't want to offend him. Amen. God blesses his regular customers. If a restaurant gives good service, what's the result? It gets repeat business. And God wants to give to you so that you can give to his work. God takes special care of faithful stewards. As long as you are in a giving partnership with him, he makes sure that you get everything you need exactly when you need it. That's his offer. It doesn't mean that you go out and indulge yourself in lavish shopping sprees. That wouldn't be good stewardship, but it does mean that he'll provide your needs. God wants you to be wealthy, but according to his concept of wealth, not according to the world's wealth. That's the difference in the prosperity gospel and what I'm telling you today. That should take care of all your fears about giving. I think I handled it today. In fact, there's only one thing, just one thing we should fear when it comes to giving, and that's holding back on God to the extent that he no longer wants to be involved in our finances. So here's the question, and I want you to stand with me, if you will, please. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. This is provocative, and I'm going to prepare you to brace yourself. Who would you rather trust to meet your needs? You or God? Who is more capable of meeting your needs? You or God? That's a question. And the way you answer that question and the right answer is God is more capable. God is more capable. I pity the soul. I pity the mentality of the person. I truly do. Who says, God, whatever's left over when I get to the end of the month, 
If there's anything there, I will gladly give it to you. By definition, you can't be a cheerful giver. You can't be. But God will honor and bless the person who says, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you own everything, and you own everything that I have, and I want to be a wise steward, and I want you to channel and flow through me, so I'm going to trust you to meet my needs, and the way I'm going to show you I trust you is I'm giving you a tenth of everything that you give me. I'm going to give it to you, believing that you will provide all my needs. I want you to just, I'm going to give you a testimony and a witness today. Yeah, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand if you want to. Those of you that are tithers, you're givers to the Lord, how many of you have been amazed at least one time in your life when you were still able to pay your bills and you didn't know how you did it? Would you raise your hand? You still didn't know how you did it. Hands all over this place. Amen. You don't know how you did it. And here's the beauty of it. You gave it. God still provided. You didn't hang on to it. You know what? If you would have kept it, you'd have blown it anyway. So you might as well give it to God and invest it in the work of God and feel good about yourself and believe that you're honoring the word of the Lord. Amen. So who do you want to supply your needs? You or God? Say, I want God. Well, then the way to do that is to be a financial partner with God. Amen. Should have waited to take the offering till now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Well, you can take care of that as the... As the Lord blesses you, as the Lord adds, as the Lord provides. I know that there are people here that need miracles. You need financial miracles. I know that. I know there are people here that have taken business chances and risks. And some of them have not paid off. Some of them have. Let me just encourage you. Don't shut your own water off. You know what? I haven't looked... I have not looked at stewardship for quite some time. I haven't. The, I, have a, I have a recent printout. I haven't looked at it. Uh, and every once in a while I, I look at it. I think it's my job to do that. I think that I should. And if you have a problem with that, come and see me after the service. But I, I feel a responsibility to God to, to know where our church is financially because I know this, where we're going, God wants to bless us, and he's going to have to bless us. Amen. And I want you to be blessed. And the only way to be blessed is to give as unto the Lord. Amen. And it shall come back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and receive his word right now. Come on, let's just receive it. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this talk. Thank you for this word. Lord, I already believe it, but I nail it down again today. Oh, Lord, I thank you for giving me something to think about, and I'm going to study it myself. I'm going to consider it in your word. And I want you to give me a conviction about it. I want you to deal with me about it. I want you to talk to me about it, Lord. I want to enter into that partnership with you. Because, Lord, I know one thing is for sure. I don't want to be responsible for my own needs, Lord, because I don't even know what I have need of, your word says. I want you to be responsible to meet my needs. I want you to shoulder that responsibility and carry that burden. Lord, I can't make it by myself. And I just thank you for this word, Lord. I thank you for this word. Praise God. Before we leave today, let's all come down around this altar for a few minutes. There's been a wonderful touch of God here in this service today. Amen. I want to invite everybody to just come. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.